Dr. Gypsy and I'm back with the second episode of our podcast Gloves Off where we talk about the fact that when doctors take off their gloves they're also human beings and I'm trying to bridge the gap between the doctors and the non-doctors and bring a little bit of empathy in this equation between the two parties from both sides. we're going to continue with our second episode which is sort of a second segment to the first episode which was called what we talk about when we talk about medicine it was about our journey through medical school and how a regular normal 18 year old becomes a doctor and all the changes and paradigm shifts that are associated with it Last time we ended talking about community medicine or preventive and social medicine and how it's taught differently in different medical institutions and how much of an impact it makes on your point of view towards clinical medicine in a tertiary care center or a primary care center and it, how much it teaches you about how to practice medicine in a more practical way especially if you have to work alone or in a rural setup where you have very few resources Today we're going to continue talking about community medicine or preventive and social medicine and an important part of what was taught to us was biostatistics and epidemiology. What? Are bopre epidemiology biostats ye sab kya hai yaar? We are joined again by our friends Dr. Stardust and Dr. Vedya in this episode as we continue this discussion. Hi guys, hum log phir aa gaye aapka dimag khane ke liye. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. So hello, welcome back. I feel like had I been taught epidemiology and biostatistics and made to understand the application or and value of it, I would have had a completely different view not just of medicine but of the world. I had some friends who were not medical professionals but were supply chain managers and financial consultants who had a much better idea of what it meant when somebody said things like p value regression analysis whereas my knowledge of biostatistics pretty much stopped at mean median mode and the minimum amount that was required to pass the exam but i almost never applied it to clinical practice until something really amazing happened much later after my residency in emergency medicine at the time i asked around and found that a lot of us had an a general idea of what it meant when we said sensitivity or specificity but mostly in the context of answering a question in an exam we would make those chi square diagrams and put an a b c d and try and figure out the sensitivity or specificity for the right answer to that particular question but we rarely used these tools to change or influence our clinical practice and to question various clinical tools and algorithms and understand how much we could use it in our clinical practice and how much we needed to look at the bigger picture and the case as a whole to finally decide what we would do with the patient or what the next best investigation would be and whether it would be the correct investigation or the correct next step for that particular case Like I mentioned before one of my professors much after residency he he has done an MD in med- internal medicine and then he did a fellowship in emergency medicine and while he was in the department he realized that there was a lot of data lying around you collect a lot of data with patients that are coming in every everything is documented you have case sheets you have their initial symptoms you have their discharge times you have disposition data whether they are admitted in a ward or an ICU there was a, a lot of data lying around and we were not doing much with it so he did an MSc 
seen epidemiology and that had a positive effect on the entire department we started looking at cases very differently for example uh, we would talk about let's let's talk about the wells criteria which for a lot of us is like gospel truth wells criteria is used to score how likely it is that a certain person has or does not have pulmonary embolism and we just yeah. accept or i just accepted it as gospel truth that if it yeah. fits into wells if it's high risk in wells then i'm likely to do the next investigation and the person is likely to have a wells but actually when i looked up the data it had only a 43% sensitivity and a 78% specificity and a positive predictive value of 66% so it's not 100% sensitive or even 90% sensitive so mm. if you took it at face value it's not really giving you that much assurance that you are doing the correct investigation for the correct case but if you had a background or even an idea of epidemiology then you as a result of our professor's degree in epidemiology and his teaching to us we learned to look at various tools of clinical medicine and criticize them and you know judge exactly how sensitive or specific they were and then use our brains in addition to just the tool and put it in the whole clinical and the clinical scenario and then of course there are other complications to this you there are rule out criteria and rule in criteria now but just as an example you learn to assess your patients from an epidemiological point of view also and had biostats been taught to us better we may have been able to look at data differently and ingest more data in a different way and actually influence our clinical decisions based on these data Dr. Vedi, you told me something about how this is changing and how our entrance exams are a big part of it changing. So you said that uh, 20 out of 300 questions in the NEET exam are now based on biostats. Is it really changing outlooks to biostats? Is it encouraging or discouraging people from studying biostatistics? What's the scene like? The medicine which is practiced today, the basic principles, the main philosophy behind it is evidence-based medicine, which is deeply rooted in epidemiology and biostatistics. These two are major. chunks of psm it's something which needs to be taken more seriously today because the doctors the physicians which come out today they are practicing evidence based medicine and i feel like the approach is definitely changing cuz back when i did when i was in my third year i actually had a good professor who really had a knack for teaching and he really taught us those topics well to sort of get our concepts cleared and the trend with which the entrance exams are shifting these days i feel like a lot of of questions in the neat so neat is an exam which has 19 subjects so if you give 20 questions from one subject you are actually giving a big chunk of it you know it's a very cash rich subject to score marks in and the trends which i'm noticing now is that 90% of the questions which come in psm which is the entrance exam are from epidemiology biostatistics screenings which are you know the principles of which they're the main principles behind evidence based medicine so the trends are definitely changing now we see that a lot of people are taking PSM, biostats, epidemiology, these topics very seriously with uh, one eye on the on their practice and with one eye on the entrance exams. So I feel PSM as a subject, which was very neglected, it's definitely moving in a direction where it's taken more seriously and studied in the right way and not just for the sake of it. Yeah, do I feel that uh, in in clinical practice we still have a long way to go in India because especially in corporate hospitals, private institutes, a lot of things are being practiced from age old guidelines. 
guidelines and whatever the senior GP general physician is saying is just followed because that drug has been working for him for decades. So it's really difficult to change their minds about whether you should use a certain drug because the current guideline says that you should use a certain drug and the evidence says that you should use a certain drug. This happens and actually evidence is being used to influence or change clinical decisions and drug decisions quite rarely and it happens only in super specialities or in really great academic teaching hospitals. But as far as private hospitals and corporate hospitals, in my experience, unless you have a good team, which is difficult to get, we're still practicing a lot of gospel medicine, you know, not to overuse the word. You are accepting yeah. what your senior is doing and you're just following that blindly. Uh, we have a great, great long way to go before we start truly practicing evidence-based medicine and saying, you can't question me on my decision of giving this drug to this patient at this time because the current guidelines say so. And then somebody will say, okay, then I can't say anything. I can't question your decision. That, that is not really what we end up doing right now. Dr. Stardust, I believe you have a visitor for us today. We have with us today a colleague, a brilliant anesthesiologist who specializes in pain management and palliative medicine. He calls himself Algo's Dog. His Twitter handle is Algo's Doctor. He has 15 years of practice behind him and has also been involved in quite a few publications. He also reviews articles. So we thought we could ask him about how statistics and the knowledge of statistics has helped him in his medical career. Hi, Albus Josh. Hey, thanks. Hi. So what we'd like to start by asking you is that did the knowledge of biostatistics and epidemiology, did it make a difference in how you practice anesthesiology, how you practice pain management? To a large extent, yes. It, it's, it's helped me, but of course, it, it's helped me much later. In fact, I've started reading it after I finished my post-graduation and after I started clinical practice. And how, so you say that after you started, once you started clinical practice, you decided to learn more about statistics, how to understand data, how to analyze it. How did you go about learning it? And did you have any specific resources? So one of the things that I did after taking my post-graduation was try to leave India. And uh, when I took the MLE, there were, there were resources, there were questions related to biostatistics and epidemiology. So the okay. earliest interaction that I've had with biostatistics very formally, because the amount of biostatistics that was taught to us in med school was very limited. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't enough to make sense out of, in the sense it's whatever was taught to us in med school was not enough to help us deal with uh, real world scenarios. Most of it yeah. was oriented to securing marks and standing in a particular order at the end of the day when it comes to results in examinations so that you can move on to the next level. So we've created workforces where a lot of our colleagues don't have not had, unfortunately, the level of education required to understand medical statistics. So this was one of the things. The second step was to actually go online because a lot of resources, a lot of my reading has been from online resources. And yeah. recently I took a few online courses in statistics and I've been reading through them. And I still, I, I, if I have time, I usually sign up for some of these courses because that gives a little more discipline to what we are doing. So this is really about, you know, how to integrate knowledge of statistics in clinical practice. Now, we also know that you have several publications. So when you had to, uh, when you had to analyze your data and publish, did you have to learn biostatistics and epi uh, epidemiology, you know, in a, in a different way for it. 
so this is an example of how statistics and precision actually helps in understanding something you have mentioned that i have several publications which is as ambiguous and as vague as it gets so anyone who's listening mm. to it is like wow several so that could be anywhere between 1 and 150000 Hmm. and uh, interestingly most of the okay now this is i'm i'm being vague here most of my publications have not uh, resorted to high level statistics so okay. in fact except for a couple of studies exactly a, a couple of studies that's two studies uh, which we have done where we have had to use statistics to understand what we have been doing most of them are rep- reported uh, cases or narrative rep- reviews so i have publications but these statistics have helped me to review other publications because they're relatively new branch and i review for journals so it helps me analyze papers when i get them for review okay. the other thing is when i read something new uh, in my branch when i read any article i know how much of it is actually making sense because you start becoming more scientific okay. about reading it and you don't th- take things at face value so i'll just go back to the uh, example about how i'm brilliant because i have several publications and i'm brilliant but i don't have several publications <laughs> so great so uh, you are brilliant because you actually already in this you already answered part of the next question that i was going to ask you so i was going to ask you about how your knowledge of statistics has helped you in critical appraisal of studies and in reviewing other articles is there anything else you would like to add i'll go on okay so uh, that was not me being brilliant that was me having foresight so again it's <laughs> so when we talk about medical biostatistics and clinical medicine what we as doctors function on heuristics in the sense we function with the pro- so a senior doctor when he looks at yeah. a patient and he arrives at a diagnosis she or he says that i knew the moment this patient walked in that this patient was yeah. suffering from mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. that is heuristic so that is your brain using experience uh, different areas of your brain the olfactory lobes and you know the cir- circumstances situations and you're building up a narrative in your head and you're using past experiences you're collating it and you're coming to a particular diagnosis so that's how neuroscience works so when you look at yeah. something you feel that this looks like something interesting so that's how your brain works mm-hmm. but in in patients that that's that may not always be enough because as we know in medicine a lot of diseases masquerade and so on so this is an example of how we function on eminence based medicine where we look at how senior this person is and how we take these things at face value and go on biostatistics and uh, epidemiology require more of as ambiguous as they get they are still about reducing the ambiguity trying to or or trying to understand how ambiguous the situation is so when this person walks in you try and understand what is the possibility that this person is not paralyzed waist down but he's just got a broken slipper the chances of these happening are are finite and we need to understand it in the context of how it will influence your treatment option what we end up doing is we quote studies and we tend to latch on to studies that we see on on the internet or we just see the abstract and see the results this shows that there is a scientific uh, there's a significant correlation between so and so but when you actually look at the methodology there'll be a lot of problems inherent to the way the study was conducted in the sense i recruited all my friends for the study so there is a bias in the study and i i know the answers i'm going to get are going to be biased so there are many dimensions to statistics starting from when you understand a phenomenon 
and you want to replicate it and see if you can demonstrate some association between different aspects connected to this phenomenon. So you need to be more precise in putting forth your research question. You need to understand what method you're going to use. You need to understand what this data is about. And that's, that's very interesting because in pain medicine, when we say that there is a, a significant association between this molecule and pain relief, there is something else that we look at. We look at clinically meaningful difference in pain. For example, when we look at anesthetic procedures, we are also we are looking at, if I say that one particular thing works better than the other, it may work statistically better, but in real life, it will be like, uh, I might have to spend say $400,000 on this one and maybe $10 on this one. So the financial aspects not being included or invoked in this study. So these are the nuances that we need to do, uh, know or understand when we practice real time. Because will this study make an outcome to our patient at the end of the day? That there's one thing where we pursue the science and the other part is applying this science to make a meaningful difference to our patients. On one end, there are people who will do studies where, you know, there's an interesting article that I saw on Twitter about um, studies show that jumping out of a plane without a parachute can be 100% lethal, except if the plane is on the ground and a few other conditions, you know. So that's how nuanced statistics should be and uh, how precisely we address the issues we are talking about. Great. So I really liked the point you told about, you spoke about latching onto something and then sort of trying to adjust your data uh, to it. This, I think, ties in with what uh, Gypsy had to say about uh, best criteria. Algos Doc, I have just one or two more questions if you have the time. If, let's say, you were given control of what was in the curriculum for our undergraduates, would you go back and change or, or modify it in a certain way? Would you like to put something specific in that in our third year when we study instead of learning just about mean, median, mode and the chi-square and specificity and sensitivity and just learning by rote the formula? Uh, do you think we could do something differently in our undergraduate degree? Yes. So in order to understand these things better, what we could do is, um, for example, I had a, a diploma exam that I took uh, in uh, Europe and one of the OSCEs or one of the papers, uh, one of the spots there was a question, a statistical uh, question, which there's 10 marks. You just, they give you the statistics and they said, this is drug X, this is drug Y. And this was the study and this is this, what sort of a study is this? Interpret this and describe it. So problem-based questions would make more sense so that you start practicing analytical skills. So this empowers the students. This gives them confidence about how to deal with uh, medical statistics. This by far is one of the most important branches in, in medicine to help us make sense of all the research because this helps us understand what's happening in research and helps us implement it in private practice. And it also helps us make sense of the world that we live in. Great, thank you so much. I think we've got all our questions answered. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. Thanks for calling me here. Thanks and all the best. Thank and you. Have fun. So you know what, Gypsy? It's, it's not just about being able to use biostatistics and epidemiology as tools of clinical medicine. The entire evolution and growth of this science depends on research, which in turn depends on your ability to conduct and publish studies. Now, as a senior medical professional, you are expected to review articles. And for this, you need a significant knowledge of statistics. But even as a beginner in your field of medicine, when you are treating patients, you have to read studies 
in order to know what are the latest guidelines so you need to do a critical appraisal to know how valid the study that you're reading is or how valid its conclusions are now this is what evidence based medicine is about right now and research and statistics is a very important part of it with this we come to the end of the second episode of our podcast loves off We were talking about our journey through med school and we discovered that what we talk about when we talk about medicine has to be a lot more about evidence and data. Calling out to all those third year undergrad med warriors, don't skip that chapter of biostats just yet. It's going to take you a very very long way. Here's hoping you enjoyed this episode. Gloves off will be back again soon with episode 3. If you want to hear us again, like, share and subscribe. We are on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and instagram as gloves off the podcast and you can write to me gypsy at gloves off the podcast at gmail.com this is dr gypsy signing off see you next time